And I think the other thing is, whenever you get that presumptive number one, everybody wants to sell it on the strengths and doesn't want to talk about the weaknesses. And there are a few things that are troubling about Cade Cunningham. Now, troubling in that he'll bust out of the league, I think that's highly unlikely. I think this guy has got about the highest floor of anybody I've seen coming in the draft in a long time. It's, it's almost unfathomable to me to say that he isn't a productive NBA player. That is Chad Ford talking about number one pick, Cade Cunningham on the floor versus the ceiling. We're going to talk Chris Paul and the Western Conference Finals a lot on that and some life advice, including full 180s. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older. 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit rg help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. $5 doesn't get you what it used to get you. I asked for change the other day. The guy gave me back four. Introducing Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps. In your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. Ever heard of it? You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Yes, I'm in a good mood. Yes, I am happy for Chris Paul going to his first ever NBA Finals. We're going to give him some love here uh, to start the podcast today. But today's open starts with the other side, and that's Paul George. Paul George and the Clippers, because I want to spend a few minutes on them before I get to Chris Paul. Now, longtime listeners of this podcast know how much I love Chris Paul, but also have known that I've pointed out Paul George coming up short in big spots um, because it's happened. And it's happened probably more than it should for a guy that's nicknamed himself Playoff P. But what I'm not going to do is criticize him now because now's not the time. Uh, whatever you thought of Paul George, you should feel better about him now. Um, if you had stake or I would say hold stock in Paul George sucks takes, you didn't make any money. You lost money. Paul George last year in the playoffs averaged 26 and 4, 40% from the floor, 33% from three. Over 13 games, he had a PER that was actually below average of an average player. Average is about 15 for a wing. He was below that. In game seven against Denver, that flame out series by the Clippers last year, he had 10 points, four boards, two assists, four 16 from the floor in 38 minutes. And honestly, it probably looked worse because we can see it with Paul George. We can see the moment wearing on his face, but that changed. During this postseason, without Kawhi and without without Ibaka, who we're going to get to in a second here. I mean, over the playoffs for 19 games, 27, 10, and five and a half, 44 percent from the floor. Didn't shoot it as great from three, 34 percent, but a 20 per, and it was on him. Once Kawhi, we knew he wasn't coming back, or it was certain that it was never going to be certain what the deal was. I think Paul George stepped up in a really big way, and I know I've called him 30-13 because I thought it was accurate that some games he's in the playoffs. Like when I said 30-13, I didn't say always 13. But he consistently 
from some early questions in the Dallas series. There was a game there early in the Utah series. Like, man, is this guy going to respond to the moment? Well, I think he responded. What he did in game five and getting Phoenix and, and keeping the series alive and getting the series back to L.A. for a game six. That was Paul George, who actually was kind of floating there a bit, didn't look super engaged. His intensity level did not match the rest of his teammates in the first half. He had one of those amazing second halves that none of us are ever going to remember or really even care about, except for the strongest Paul George defenders, because a lot of this is like politics. If you get a bad headline about a candidate you don't like, you love and believe in that bad headline. If you have a candidate that you really like and you see a good headline, you're going to believe in and promote that good headline. I mean, none of this is new. We've been doing it for centuries, and we do it with basketball players. We do it with court. So with Paul George, if you're banging the table saying, ah, I knew it wasn't he wasn't going to get it done. I think what Paul George did is improve whatever his status is in the league. I think he improved it big time because there was no Kawhi and Paul George will never be Kawhi. He's not at that level and you're missing a top five player. There's no Ibaka who arguably when you look at the construct of this Clippers team was going to be their third best player. No Zubats. In the middle of the series, you could argue going small, going big. But here's what I would like to see instead of DeMarcus Cousins last night was more Zubats. And we weren't going to see that. Marcus Morris, who in the past, you know, I haven't really loved. I think he's outwardly tough. He'll shove a guy. But then when you need him to be mentally tough to make a big play and hit a big shot, I didn't always like my chances. I think he improved uh, in that regard. There's moments that he, he had huge shooting moments where I felt like, okay, there's more to this. Reggie Jackson. All the Oklahoma City stories, never quite understood it. Gets to run his own team in Detroit. Huge contract. Don't worry about it, folks. The cap went up that year. Uh, running his own team didn't look very good. Buyout guy. Now what? Now teams are going to be tripping over themselves and paying millions of dollars because he's proven himself in this game that is more open than ever before as one of the premier isolation offensive players. And the regular season numbers back it up too. So this Clippers team, and let's face it, you weren't very high on them, and I mean you as the general you, because of the flame out of last year. And I kind of felt like over the summer, like, hey, let's not let that disappointment hangover carry over to the next season and have you think this team stinks. Honestly, if Phoenix hadn't beaten the Clippers, missing Kawhi, missing Ibaka, and Zoo going down, and this collection of guys that were very, very tough and very intense but weren't as talented as Phoenix, if Phoenix didn't win this series, that would have been a horrible storyline. More of an indictment, I think, on Phoenix, even though I have so much praise and more appreciation for this group of Clippers, who I think found a toughness about themselves that a lot of us never really thought that they had. Ty Lue is also part of this conversation because, let's face it, when they're down 0-2, what are you saying to yourself about Ty Lue? What are your Ty Lue text threads about? Probably most of you don't have a lot of those Ty Lue text threads, but you're wondering, wait, is this guy actually any good? Like, Do we even know anything about the Clippers because they're two guys in and out all the time this season? And Ty Lue did things that we've seen other coaches resist. So many coaches are stubborn. Ty Lue has proven that he's not stubborn and that if you're vibing with the players, then you can be a coach in this league for a really long time. And Ty Lue tried a million different things. Doesn't mean he was perfect. I really struggle with the coaching stuff. I think a lot of us say, oh, this coach sucked or we play the results all the time. This adjustment, this guy made, well, it didn't work. They lost, so you shouldn't have made that adjustment. You lose the game. You don't make any adjustments. We're like, how come you didn't make any adjustments? Ty Lue made adjustments all the time. And for the most part, it kept this team that felt like it was on life support because of the health situation it kept them in the mix almost coming out of the west so lou deserves a ton of credit for that and i think it also transitions perfectly into the monty williams part of this because monty williams in new orleans for their five seasons only had winning seasons twice new orleans didn't love him down there i don't know that chris paul loved him all that much so the thought the prevailing thought on monty williams was that he was a guy that you know good x's and o's but i don't know if, if guys really respond to him is it too much and chris paul had to talk 
with Monty Williams about that when they got back together in Phoenix. And now it looks like everybody's figured it out. And now we all think Monty Williams is one of the best coaches. So it's always this delicate thing where you got to be a little careful when you start saying how great a coach is or how terrible one is because they're probably a little closer to the middle than we realize, except for the real extremes where you'll see somebody at the far extremes. You're like, okay, this guy doesn't know what he's doing or this guy always seems to make his team better. Uh, there's one final piece on the Kawhi part of this that I think is important because when they're down 0-2 to Dallas, we're like, what's Kawhi going to do as a free agent? We're like, would he even come back to this? Does he even want to be locked into Paul George? Like, he loved Paul George when he wasn't a teammate. He was pushing for Paul George to be with there with the Clippers. That was the whole point. Kawhi's like, I want to play with this guy. Then he plays with him, and you're thinking, is he still going to want to play with him? Is he going to want to be there with Tyloo and all this different stuff? And I don't really know what the injury deal is. Same as you, I've heard everything from torn ACL to just, you know, he's not ready and it's day to day. I don't really love that it's that much of a, of, it's not misinformation. It's just Kawhi, like you can be wired a certain way, but I still think as old school as it sounds, there's a bit of a duty to your teammates and the team of like, and maybe I should let these guys know where I'm at, but Kawhi doesn't operate that way. And I don't know if it's because of his days with San Antonio, feeling like the medical department there was not on the same page with him. I don't know if I, the rumblings that it's the same thing with the Clippers. Um, again, I, I, don't, I don't know enough. Most of us don't know enough about the medical side of this stuff other than Kawhi's now been at three places where it wasn't cool for him in San Antonio. Toronto let him take as much time off as he possibly could. It worked. The Clippers have let him take off as much time as he possibly could. And this entire time, playoffs, they were pretending the idea that the guy was just going to come through the tunnel and be ready to suit him up when it didn't really seem like it was going to happen. A side note about players and team doctors. I went on NBA radio with Kamla and Antonio Daniels. Uh, Daniels played a long time as part of the Pelicans broadcast. Uh, I actually really liked him a lot as a player, even though he's kind of a role tough guy, but I just always liked him. I said, you know, every former player I meet, and this is me talking to Daniels on the radio show, I go, there's this very constant like us versus them deal with team doctors that it feels like every player thinks every team doctor is the worst. And I don't know that that makes a ton of sense to me. And Daniels goes, I'll tell you a story. He goes, when I was in San Antonio dealing with an injury, loved the team doctor, got along. But the team doctor basically said straight up, and Daniels shared this on the air, so I'm not sharing a secret. He goes, look, this is the team doctor talking to Daniels. The team pays me. My paycheck comes from the San Antonio Spurs. So if it's close, I'm siding with the team. So if that is the premise that we're all operating with, then I can understand why so many players, current and former, would be like, I don't agree with the medical staff. But we'll, that's a TBD on that one with Kawhi because none of us know. And you can, this is the one rule with Kawhi. You can never be surprised by Kawhi. And I'm ready to be surprised, but I still don't have any intel with it because Kawhi, as I was told when he was going to be Deciding where he wanted to go between Toronto, the Lakers, and the Clippers, the one guy that told me the best information was like, when it comes to Kawhi, if somebody tells you they know what he's doing, never listen to them again about Kawhi because it, they just expose themselves. So let's get now to it. The headline. Monty Williams, Chris Paul. They work it out. They get back together in Phoenix. When I think about Chris Paul, I think about whenever I watch a player for the first time and I am a... I guess my hobby would be the draft. The draft is my favorite part of the sports calendar, but I'm not like a prime draft analyst. I just really like it. All the combines that I hosted, PIT, going to all those tournaments, Orlando. Like I just would do it because I was in it and I loved it. I loved learning about the evaluation process. And I write up my own scouting reports. They don't, no one ever sees them. They're just for me to try to do as good of a job as I can for every incoming class. And the first thing I'll notice with a player is I'll go, does this guy give a shit? 
And I know it sounds like a simple question, but sometimes it's a harder one to answer when you don't know the player and you're not around the team and you're simply watching them, whether it's a full game or just dialing up clips. Is this guy a fighter? Does he compete? Does he say all the right things, but isn't really wired that way? Or is he wired that way because it's the only way he knows? And when I watch Chris Paul for a decade plus now, I don't think I've ever seen a player care about the outcome as much as Chris Paul. And that's why I love him so much. Um, everything I think is important about an athlete, Chris Paul exemplifies. Every team Chris Paul goes to gets better. And I know this is a hard thing for all of us to understand because it's like, wait a minute, he doesn't have a ring. How can he be this guy, Ryan? Like I've said, I think sometimes it just works out for players and sometimes there are rare instances where it doesn't work out. And it felt like Chris Paul was on that path. So let's stay on that, the winning part of it, before he's ever won. Some of you, I'm sure most of you have seen this stat, but I'm going to remind everybody of it. The record, the winning percentage of a team before Chris Paul gets there and then what happens after. This is five straight teams now. As soon as Chris Paul gets there, the winning percentage goes up and sometimes dramatically. The Hornets before Chris Paul, 220 winning percentage. After, 463. Clippers before Chris Paul, 390 winning percentage. After, 606. The Rockets, 671 winning percentage. Paul gets there, 793. Thunder, 598 winning percentage. Remember, everything was moving around there. That team was supposedly going to be mailing it in. Uh, 611 winning percentage. Get to game seven, the first round. Who cares, Ryan? Game seven, first round. That team just wasn't that good. And the best part of that story, as I've been told, Chris Paul shows up, talks to Billy Donovan. Billy's like, we're going to make sure you're fine. We're going to take care of you. We're going to be doing this stuff. We're going to give you as much rest as you need. You know, we know this isn't part of your plan, and you're going to be somebody we're moving on. Like, everybody was on the same page there, except Chris Paul said, nah, fuck that. Like, I'm playing. Let's go. Played 70 of 72 games and got that team to game seven in the first round. And again, that wasn't a great team. And then, of course, the Phoenix Suns, 466 winning percentage, and they finished up at just over oh, at 708 is where they finished up. He's tough. He fights. He's smart. He's efficient. He could score 30 every night if he wanted to, but he doesn't want to. He's not 30 points on 30 bad fucking shots. I trust him every possession. I'm not saying he's mistake free. No one is. Yes, the flops annoy me. It annoys me with everyone. But when I watch Chris Paul, the reason I love him this much is because I just know he cares more than you do. I do. I just know it. He's everything I would want in a player. If I had a quarterback, if I had a defensive end, you know, baseball is a little different because you can't just exert your physical presence or somebody else. But anytime I watch another athlete, I'll ask myself, and I don't say like, hey, is he the next Chris Paul? But I go, does he have these attributes? And Chris Paul checks every box. Again, he is everything I would want in a player and maybe even a son. All right, maybe that seems a little awkward at the end, but leave it in there. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. I was like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. 
they told me the estimate ahead of time, said, you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I don't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This is going to be a lot of fun. Chad Ford is somebody who... Look, man, 18 years ago, I, I saw his stuff. I bugged him. I got his phone number. I used to bug him all the time. Uh, back when I was working in Boston, Chad was always cool. And uh, Chad Ford joins us now, part of NBABigBoard.com. You can see all of his draft pro- profiles, all the news, all the stuff. And of course, the same podcast coming out every two weeks. What's up, man? I miss those days. <laughs> uh, I, I know it seems funny because, you know, obviously you've gone on to have this incredible career and whatever. And, you know, I started... He had a website that I started myself with a, you know, a friend at sportstalk.com that ESPN ended up, you know, buying and coming over. But I, I, you know, I, I miss some of that simpleness of those days when you're just having fun and, you know, you're just building stuff, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of interesting now when you get to the position that you're at and, you know, look for where I was for a while now, where, you know, all the, <laughs> you know, you're the guy and everybody's kind of shooting at you and attacking you. It's um, I, I miss some of those days. In fact, one of the reasons I went back and decided to do my own independent newsletter at Substack was I just wanted to kind of recapture that freedom that I had once had when I was just doing my own thing. And I didn't have to worry about anything else other than doing my own thing. I can write directly to my readers and things like that. Like when those folks at Substack pitched that to me, there was a certain nostalgic appeal to just sort of getting back to the simple, like, I'm just going to com- be communicating with my you know readers and that's what it is. And if you like it, great. And if you don't, that's cool too. Um, but yeah, it's been, but I miss those days, I guess. I miss all those times in Bristol, uh, you know, uh, huddling before the draft and trying to figure out like, the, you know, uh, <laughs> who said what, and we're trying to put together mock drafts and stuff like that. Like, you know, I don't think it was very public knowledge a lot of times, like how much time we spent talking to each other and like breaking stuff down, but it was always really helpful to me. So I hope we capture some of that dynamic today on our on our call because it, it was so awesome. Yeah, as much as I want to do all the draft stuff, I, there's, I could do this later, but I almost feel like a follow-up because for those that maybe are younger, and, and I know this sounds crazy, but you know, in 2003, if I wanted to learn about a foreign player, <laughs> I, I, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't really access to it the way there yeah. is. I mean, it's not even close. There wasn't, you kind of went word of mouth and Chad was the guy that would be going to these gyms. And I think, uh, 
Pavel Podkolzin was one of the first ones. And then I know recently you did a podcast where you basically were like, am I to blame for Darko Milicic? Because yeah. Darko gets drafted around four Hall of Famers because Chad would have the info. And by the way, there were so many teams that were like, if you ever saw Darko work out back then yeah. before the draft, like you would have taken him that high too. Yeah. But there also became a thing where then everybody got mad at you. You know, people got really mad at you and I'm not, I don't even know if it's inside the NBA but outside and maybe it was because you were like the number one draft guy for a long time so I don't know if I'm accurate or inaccurate I think I'm I'm somewhat accurate because we knew each other pretty well yeah. but it was an odd journey of like this guy doing this unique thing and teaching about these European players and talking them up and then everybody got pissed at you for doing it and then it was yeah. just kind of weird yeah it's always been it's you know I'll never sort of understand it like uh you know, I do think I was one of the pioneers. I'm not the only one, but was one of, you know, one of them early on. And you kind of reach this level and then it's like, okay, now I got to tear it down. And, and, you know, look, some of that was because like on guys like Darko, I, I was wrong. I'll admit that, you know, I, I'm actually, maybe this will be my most read column ever. Uh, next week, I'm going to do something on my biggest draft mistakes. And I think that's probably what people want to read more than anything else uh, is, you know, how I got it wrong. But, you know, I've, I've been going back and looking at some stuff. And, you know, that Darko year, it wasn't just Darko, it was Pavel Podkolzin, Machik Lampy. I mean, uh, and Machik Lampy went, he was supposed to go, what lottery? And he like went in the beginning. <laughs> he goes and in went, the second like round and bust out the league. Uh, Nicholas Skidishvili. Uh, who I'm in a gym in Italy with Mike D'Antoni, who's at that time and the coach for uh, Benetton uh, in Treviso, Italy, and uh, is using Skeeta uh, in some ways to get back into the NBA. So he basically lured me and lots of NBA teams out there with, hey, I've got this lottery pick. Kiki Vandeway, like a rookie GM, sort of comes in and, and buys a little bit what Mike's selling. Uh, you know, and Mike's little workout in the gym. And, you know, I was young and and was doing work that I thought I would want to read. Like, you know, I, I used to just see these grainy photos of an international guy and like, you know, a, you know, a brief description. I went and embedded myself with scouts. I was on the road with scouts, including some that have become executives in the league and general managers, you know, but were young guys at the time, just all sort of figuring it out. And, you know, it was fun for me. Uh, but like a lot of things with the draft, I think the hard thing with the draft is I've been doing this a long time. I feel like I'm relatively intelligent. I, I feel like I come back and I look at my process and, and a, so much of my process is actually talking to the experts and talking to, you know, scouts and GMs and, and folks, whatever. And, and I, I want to get to the point where I'm never wrong. And I want to get to the point where like, I'm right about every guy and every year I'm just wrong about guys. Like, you know, even after all these years, I'm just wrong. Like, you know, Trey Young, like comes to mind. I'm going to talk about that. I wasn't even like covering the draft for ESPN, but I, I wasn't convinced Trey Young should have been the fifth, fifth pick in the draft, let alone what, like what he's become. I, I still get it wrong. And, and I think for some fans that that's just really hard. Like they, they, they want their draft expert. If they're really going to be labeled as an expert or, you know, at ESPN or whatever, like you should be right. Like that's, that's what we're paid to do. And so I'm going to be pissed at you when you're wrong. And and I, you know, I'll be the first to admit, like I get it wrong, you know, on a, on a regular basis, um, but it's not for lack of work. And I, I don't think it's for a lack of like being smart about this. I, I, I think, I think people in the NBA and other people respect me for it. I just, I do get it wrong. Well, for those that don't know, Chad's got like three degrees from prestigious universities. So um, is it three or is it more now? I don't know. I, uh, yeah, three, three sounds good. Three sounds good. Right. Um, yeah. he's, he's dedicated a good chunk of his life to, to doing things that are more important than basketball, too. And that's why, you know, 
look, I'm biased because I, you were so great to me when I was 26, 27 and just breaking in and bugging you about different guys because I love the draft. And then all of a sudden, Chad Ford's blowing up and he's a guy that will talk to me. And, you know, I'd like to always feel like my information was good. But what I was always saying was like, you know, Chad does not do a Mel Kuyper. Mel is evaluating the players and ranking them to Mel. Chad is collecting the information and then doing it that way. But like, if you go back to the skittish really thing, do you feel used? Do you feel used by Darko? Like, because I think it's kind of ridiculous for an NBA, especially on the team side of it, to be like, hey, you're the ones who still had to evaluate it and draft him. So if you're basing it on Chad Ford's blog, like that's a much bigger problem than Chad. I should be getting, I, I should be getting a check probably, but Skeeta, yeah, I was used a little bit. I, you know, Mike, Mike and I How did had a it conversation work? about give, it. Give me the full it. Mike thing. Cause I don't think people always know this story. Okay. I so, love so Mike. D'Antoni had, uh, you know, had a really successful career playing pro basketball ball in Italy, um, went back, was, was coaching one of the top teams in Italy, Benetton, who was a, a yearly final four contender that year. And he had this guy Skeeta on his team who actually rarely played for them. He was young. Uh, I, I can't remember exactly where he was from, uh, you know, somewhere in Eastern Europe. And, uh, and, you know, Mike was reaching out to people saying, you know, hey, if you come over to the EuroLeague Final Four, which frankly, a lot of NBA teams didn't, or if the general managers were going to come back, then that's what they'd come to because it would be, I can't even remember where the EuroLeague Final, oh, it was in, it was in Bologna. It was in Bologna, Italy. So it was, it was close to uh, Treviso that year. Come up, see this guy. I'm going to essentially do what scouts do now or agents do now called a pro day, uh, you know, where I'm going to get on the court with this guy and work him out. So everybody goes to the year league final four. We don't really get to see Skeeta play, but all of us take this, 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 uh, you know, trip up to Treviso, which is, by the way, is one of the most gorgeous places in Italy. Uh, it's sort of north of Venice. Um, you know, Mike rolls out the, the carpet, you know, the Benetton family, uh, you know, everything, you know, for, for me and for lots of people were eating pizza, pasta, um, you know, and watching Skeeta do Skeeta things. He was athletic. He could shoot the basketball. Mike took him through those drills. And then, you know, Mike, you know, telling us, you know, this kid's going to be great, you know, whatever. And he's it, seven it feet, all, by the way, too. So it was, it was all like networking. 11. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And, and I bought it. Absolutely. You know, hook, line and sinker. I bought it. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was young and, and, and I, I, I did, I bought it. I thought it'd be really good. I was wrong. Uh, it absolutely was wrong, uh, on it. I did not draft them for the nuggets. Uh, <laughs> like I said, Kiki Vandaway was the new GM and had that sort of same thing. Did it? I had nothing to do with that. You know, the Darko thing I think is more interesting because, um, as a reporter with ESPN, I'd gone over and followed scouts. And that's where I first saw Darko um, over there. And I was with a contingent of NBA scouts at the time. I was reporting, not really my scouting report, but what they were saying and, and talking about it. And then it, and then two things happened, I think, will forever tie me to Darko. One is that ESPN embedded me with Darko and his agent on lottery night. Um, and they had somebody else embedded with LeBron James and somebody else, I think, was embedded with Chris Bosch. And so, you know, you could get a reaction, you know, at a lottery night from each of these guys. I happen to be with Darko. The Pistons end up getting the number two pick in the draft. Um, but what happened right before that was as the Pistons were preparing, I think they were in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Knicks. I think that's that's where they were. They were over in John J. Jim in Manhattan, and they were they were doing their um their walkthrough for the game. Darko lands in the US wants to get in a workout, ends up going to John J. Jim, and I believe this is totally serendipitous, 
ends up working in the gym right next to the Pistons and he's just shooting around. And so I walk over to the other gym and Joe Dumars and Rick Carlisle are there and, you know, others. And I'm like, Hey, you know, Darko's over in the other gym right now. And they're like, Oh really? And they start walking over there. And then before long, all the Pistons players are over there. And uh, Tony Ronzoni, who's one of their coaches who, who sort of knew that, or not one of their coaches, one of their scouts who sort of knew Darko ends up putting Darko through a workout right there with everybody. And I'm sitting next to John Hammond on one side and Joe Dumars on the other side. And Darko goes and has the workout of the century. Like he's swishing threes. He's dunking the ball. He's grunting. It's like, if you've seen like Rocky three, it's like the montage of Mr. T in the gym, just grunting and sort of working out and just going crazy. Everybody's going crazy afterwards. And so then I'm in the hotel room with Darko ESPN does its live shot, the phone call. So many people are calling his agent, Mark Hornstein, that Mark hands me one of his phones and say, hey, can you just tell this person to hold on? And it's John Hammond of the Pistons on the phone. And before I can get in a word to say, this is not Mark Hornstein, this is Chad Ford. John Hammond's like, we're so excited. We're going to draft Darko. We think he's the, we, we're so excited. We got the number two pick in the draft. <laughs> I mean, this was the craziest of, of circumstances. And so one of the things that I did is I went to that Pistons workout, the team workout where they actually had him with the team. And so many of the hyperbolic quotes that are attributed to me about Darko were actually Will Robinson, who was one of their longtime scouts uh, who just fell in love with Darko and that workout. So no, I didn't draft Darko for the Pistons. I was there to watch that process and I was very close to them. I reported extensively on it. Um, they saw him, they made their own decisions. But with all that said, I want to put myself on the hook. I thought he personally thought he was worthy of the number two pick in the draft. I personally, if I had been a general manager, would have taken him over Bosch or Dwayne Wade. And so I also, I'm not going to just put it on the Pistons. I did get it wrong. And for those that, this is, by the way, thank you. That story was amazing. Um, that's what we're always hoping to do here on the podcast. That was incredible. But I remember in the early Darko struggle years, other GMs that I would talk to at that point were like, I remember one GM being like, hey, you guys need to chill out. He doesn't even shave yet. And I was like, you know what? He's right. This guy's right. But then you started hearing more stuff about Darko where you're like, he just drives around, never got a license. The team was like, wait, what are you doing? Like you bought an Escalade and you're just bombing around. You get, like, he's like, yeah. Like, Did you get a, an American license? He was like, ah, whatever. You know, like there was some disconnect stuff, not just culturally, but being younger, which I can kind of understand that I wonder if any of that wiring got in the way or yeah. if the fact that he's around this team that's contending for titles, where in a weird way, you're like, hey, he's going to be held accountable. He's going to have great coaching. He's all these different things. It's like maybe he actually needed those two seasons to be in a bad team to get shots up to learn from the mistakes. Or maybe it just never was going to work out because of what was going on upstairs. I don't know. Yeah. And look, there's some ego involved, too. Like he he read the hype. And and Darko was 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 a confident dude. Whatever you want to say about Darko, like he would argue to your face, oh, uh, you know, I'm better than LeBron James. And and uh, so, you know, I remember I was with Darko uh, at the start of the season, sort of doing a follow up with him. And we're driving over to the palace in Auburn Hills and they're advertising for a preseason game. And it's the Cavs are coming. It's like LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavs are coming. And Darko looks at the billboard and said, why is my name not up there? Um, right. And, and, you know, I'm looking at him at that point. I'm like, well, you're not LeBron James. And, you know, I mean, you know, I don't think any international player is going to get that, that praise sort of all, but you know, that is his mentality. And then the reality of what he's actually getting as far as playing time, you know, it's embarrassing to him. 
I, I think it's personally embarrassing. It's injuring his pride. And I, and I will say that some of the Pistons players told me and the coaches told me it wasn't like Darko was a scrub in, in practices or whatever. He's going against Ben Wallace every day. He's playing his butt off. He's playing hard. Like people generally liked him as a player in Detroit. It wasn't like, and this happens sometimes. And one of the really interesting ones that this happened with, which is so interesting to see that he's on his redemption tour right now is, you know, I heard feedback uh, when um, Cameron Payne was drafted that they got him into the gym and into summer league and all the practices and immediately said, we made a huge mistake. Like Cameron Payne can't play in the NBA. Like that was, that was the feel that sometimes happens with NBA teams. Like they'll draft them and then they get them into summer league and work out and they're, they're done. They're already off them. They're like, they're like, this isn't going to work out. That was not the initial assessment from the Pistons. It, it wasn't at all. They, they really felt that they had something. They just didn't have a space to play in. Uh, Larry Brown was now coaching that team. They were, you know, trying to be, become a, a, you know, a, an NBA champion, which, which they achieved. Um, and, you know, Darko, but the joke became, he was the human victory cigar, uh, right? Like that, that became the joke. And I think people underestimate how much that hurt Darko, his feelings, his, his ego, um, his pride. He became very disillusioned. Um, one time he told me like everybody in the NBA are liars um, because I think people were telling him one thing, but then, you know, the actual, what was sort of happening on the court and the other, like lots of factors that go into this. And like, that's learning for me as well, right? That with the exception of the LeBron Jameses or the, you know, Anthony Davises or the Tim Duncans of the world, a lot of your NBA future is in part going to be controlled by who drafts you, what your coach thinks about you, how you fit in the system. Are you going to be given an opportunity um, to play? Is the coach going to adapt to you like, like Steve Kerr did with Draymond Green and, and you know, really got the absolute most out of Draymond Green? Or, uh, you know, in lots of these cases, you know, Ryan, you and I know this. A lot of times front offices and coaches aren't on board. We just read this coming out of Utah. Um, right now with with Dennis Lindsay and Quinn Snyder and and the 2020 NBA draft and how there was a, a a fight in the draft room overnight. We just read this with the with the Dallas Mavericks with Donnie Nelson leave, leaving the Dallas Mavericks with Sadiq Bay um, and Josh Green and a and a literally war in the war room on draft night over which guy you're going to take. And coaches often, if they lose that battle, um, being punitive on the backside by saying I'm not going to I'm not going to play this guy. Um, that's not who I wanted. And because now I control the team and I control who, uh, you know, who gets playing time and I'm, I'm going to happen. Like there's so many factors that go into this that I don't really think we always, we want to speak with confidence. And there are guys that I think no matter what system you put them in, they're going to be great. But, you know, for many of them, it is going to depend on what team they land on. All right. So sounds good. Let's get some players wrong. Let's talk okay. about this okay, draft. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I love this draft. I really do. And it's not yeah, just because of you know the depth at the top. Um, I'm just going to go in a couple directions. You take it wherever you want. Uh, I like Kate Cunningham a lot, but he's not the lock uh, to be the number one pick here that I think maybe it's been sold to us all year long. I think the Jalen Green stuff is very real. I don't know if it's still going to be the Pistons taking that pick. We'll touch on that. But what I really like is I keep going through it. Um, you know, whether it's through Kaminga, then Keon Johnson, physical gifts, um, even Wagner, who just understands the game. Um, I'm, I'm going through Kevin O'Connor. 
Scotty Barnes, immediately, the first time I watched him, I'm like, how come this guy isn't ranked higher? And I think he started to get some of that love. I have a tweet at least to back that up from, I think, six weeks ago. He's picking up point guards full court and then also switching on to centers and actually holding up, again, college centers. So defensively, what Barnes can do is impressive. So kind of go anywhere you want as your intro into how you've broken this class down. Yeah, I was a a big believer in there's five guys uh, at the start of the the year, I think it's six now. I, I'm, I'm including Barnes. Gar- Barnes was the guy that that I, I had just kind of a little bit below, but I don't believe he's below anymore. In fact, I think he's probably ahead of Suggs and Kaminga um, on, on most most draft boards. I, I will say that I've also definitely heard from most NBA teams. It's Cade Cunningham. He's clearly the guy that's number one. I, I still think it's safe to say that he goes number one, likely to Detroit. I think that is the likely scenario. But if Detroit really wants Jalen Green, they probably can move down two spots. Cleveland moves up, but Cleveland would take Cade Cunningham one, I think, in that scenario. Uh, and and so he's. Yeah, I think he's going to be the number one pick. I think it's fair to say the gap isn't as big as people have made it out to be. I think yeah, that's... Also- I- I think he goes one, but you're right. Like, I think there's just been a couple of teams that I felt, but go ahead. I interrupted. Yeah. I think the gap isn't what, what we've made it out to be. And I think the other thing is whenever you get that presumptive number one, everybody wants to sell it on the strengths and doesn't want to talk about the weaknesses. And there are a few things that are troubling about Cade Cunningham that troubling in that he'll bust out of the league. I think that's highly unlikely. I think this guy has got about the highest floor of anybody I've seen coming in the draft in a long time. It's it's almost unfathomable to me to say that he isn't a productive NBA player, right? Like I I, I, I can't imagine it, given the, the, the focus on NBA wings who can handle the ball and shoot the basketball, um, be able to defend multiple positions, high basketball IQ, driven, driven player, um, you know, all those things. Like it's really hard to me to imagine scenarios where Cade Cunningham doesn't do stuff in the league, but superstar, uh, you know, maybe not, you know, maybe, maybe not because of the, that lack of elite athleticism, maybe not because his turnover rate was higher than his assist rate. Maybe he's not the elite passer and, you know, primary ball handler that, that we've kind of been sold that he was um, out of high school. In fact, if you just watch the passing component and reading the game as a point guard between him and Scotty Barnes, give me Scotty Barnes, um, actually. Uh, you know, on, on that, as, you know, mm-hmm. far as the big wing and how they read the floor, or, or frankly, give me Josh Giddy out of Australia, who probably, you know, sees it, you know, sees it even better. Um, but the lack of like, but, you know, the difference, but why Kate Cunningham's number one and not Scotty Barnes in my, my hand is Scotty Barnes wore that he's not a shooter right now that he's a non-shooter is a bigger concern to me than that stuff with Kate Cunningham. Like that could uh, definitely lower Scotty Barnes ceiling if he doesn't even have if he doesn't have a passable jump shot that um, that makes teams guard him and doesn't allow them to just sort of sag off him, you know, offensively like that. That is a real concern, a legitimate concern about Scotty Barnes that I don't have with Kate Cunningham and why I, I think it's safer there. But you know, also we're not talking about Evan Mobley like five years ago, even a seven footer that's a unicorn like. Like uh, like Evan Mobley is not only has a full array of offensive gifts, but actually protects the rim, uh, you know, as well. I mean, we're talking about Chris Bosch, but Chris Bosch was not a rim protector. Evan Mobley is a legitimate rim protector right now. Like, that's why I love this draft. I mean, that's really good guys. Jalen Green, who's going to be 
like in my opinion, hands down a 25 point a night score um, in the NBA. And then I don't know about Jonathan Kaminga and like what he's going to be, but he's got all the freakish tools like, like Kawhi-esque like tools, whether he plays like that or not, like that's crazy. And then Jalen Suggs, man, I mean, he's the baller of all the ballers uh, in this draft. Like, I mean, if you're just asking me, give me last shot of the game, which of these guys do I want the ball in his hands to go get me that last shot? I want Jalen Suggs to have that, have the ball in his hands at the end. So I'm, I'm super stoked at the top of this draft. And I don't think it's disrespectful to say there's some warts for Cape Cunningham or to have Jalen Suggs fifth in a draft that he could easily have gone one in 2020. Being a non-shooter in today's game is, is a major flag. And I don't, because there's so much of Scotty Barnes that I like, I don't want to make the mistake of being like, dude, what other player would you go? Yeah, it's cool. He can't shoot, but I still think he should go three or four because the mock drafts, when we keep going over and over again, and you're asking guys going back to the beginning of the actual calendar year, be like, hey, who's your top five or whatever? It's always been Cade, Mobley, Kaminga, Green, Suggs, not in that order. Kaminga's always, almost always been the fifth guy. I think there's teams that like Suggs more than Green. I think there's obviously, you could flip it around. Mobley's kind of gone up and down within the top, you know, two, three, or four. Right. Um, most people seem to have him two now because of the way the lottery played out. But Barnes, what always jumped out to me about him is I couldn't believe he's a 19-year-old freshman directing traffic with all the responsibilities that he had. Like that's one of the things that I'll notice with players where I go, this guy actually not only understands every play that's being called, he's telling everybody what they're doing wrong and making sure guys are getting into the right position. And that's, look, I don't even think he, I, I don't think, I think he started like a handful of games for him this year too, on top of everything else. So yeah, it was mostly coming off the bench on a, yeah. on the tallest team in the, in the country. Um, so people knock his rebounding or whatever. And I'm like, you know, they Florida State didn't need him to do that. That's not what they were asking him to do. They were asking him to be the point guard on that team. And I think he did actually a great job, job of that. You know, the other thing I'll say about him is, you know, talking to folks that are close to that program, everybody loves Scotty Barnes. Also talking to teams that did interviews. I'm in Chicago at the Combine, an absolute magnetic personality always happy, always joyful, teammates loved him, coaches loved him, a natural leader that way. Like people say like personality wise, like think Magic Johnson, like that is the sort of personality that he brings to the table. And so, you know, that that's a plus. And, you know, you worry a little bit, like a lot of times you just want him to take over games. Like when I'm watching Florida State, I'm like, just take it over, dude. Like you're the most talented dude on the floor. Do you know that you're the most talented dude on the floor? Like Kate Cunningham knows that. Um, and, and Jalen Suggs will know that too. And they'll take over a game when they need to take over a game. Scotty Barnes didn't always know that, but what, but what I was told is he's capable of doing that. And they would go into practices where Scotty Barnes would get pissed and just blow up, just blow up on everybody. Uh, and, and it was just like, wow, like watch, watch out. And so, you know, I, I worry, is he got that, that killer mindset that, I actually do think that, you know, Cade brings to the table and, and, you know, other, you know, other people might as well, Jalen Suggs, Jalen Green, you know, bring to the table. Does he have that? But I think the playoffs are helping Scotty Barnes right now. I think that's just the other thing is as teams are watching watching the playoffs right now, it's always a trendy league. You and I know this, you know, it's, it moves all over the place, depending on what the in vogue thing right now is a guy that can switch between five positions, which allows you 
infinite adjustments as a, as a coach on how you're going to defensively guard players. And, and Scotty Barnes is one of the few guys that I've ever scouted that I think legitimately, I mean it seriously, can guard five positions in the NBA. Uh, I really believe he actually can do that. That is extremely valuable um, right now. And that's not something that you can say about Jalen Suggs, you know, for example. And certainly can't say that about Jalen Green. Okay, let's uh, let's get through some more players here before we have to say goodbye to you. Give me the arguments by teams or whatever your position is, the argument against, like, if you had to sit in a room, in the war room, and Keon Johnson and Davion Mitchell are both sitting there, give me kind of the thoughts and concerns because we know Mitchell is older. I think he has that switch that we all love. I think Keon may have that as well. He's more raw. He's younger. He can't shoot. Um, but there's – these are talking about – we're two guys are kind of in that same range there where I could see some team being like, look, give me the 19 year old who's bigger and has all these freakish athletic parts. And I could see other teams being like, I want to see the kid that carried his team through the tournament and seemed to improve his shooting. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. I have to, I love Davian Mitchell and I have to watch myself all the time because if I actually go back and look at what I don't love, like he ticks a lot of boxes, like he's older, uh, that, that typically is a red flag in the lottery. Um, he's small. Uh, six foot with only a six foot four wingspan, which is okay, but it's it's not anything to write home about. Everybody that's comparing him to Donovan Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell had a six ten um, wingspan. It's a big big difference, uh, and doesn't quite have that same athletic burst, um, you know, that Donovan Mitchell does. Uh, drafting based off of oh he can come help you right away, uh, as opposed to you know the Keon Johnson, you know he's going to be a, a major work in progress. I mean my my history of doing this in the draft says Davian Mitchell, you shouldn't do that. Like go Keon Johnson, go Franz Wagner, go Josh Giddy, uh, you know, go, go that direction. Don't go this direction, but having watched Baylor all season, man, there's a gear to this guy. There's a wiring to Davian Mitchell that there's just this nagging feeling like this guy's going to be really good. Like maybe like have a Kyle Lowry like type career in the NBA and, and, you know, and in that case, Keon Johnson, what is he going to be? I don't know what Keon Johnson's going to be. I know he has a 48 inch vertical, which is crazy. I know he's going to play defense because he was forced to do that at Tennessee. Whenever he had to create for himself offensively, it was, it was problematic. And, and I, and, you know, I don't know if he develops that or if he doesn't, uh, but man, I, I don't know what I do in those guys. I've gone back and forth in that, right. And, and the, the folks I talked to in the league, same thing, like, there's a huge tug and pull right now with Davian Mitchell. And like the eye test is like, Oh my gosh, Davian Mitchell's a player. All the things that you look at that are typically important in the draft, all argue against him. Hey, anybody that couldn't figure out Texas this year. Um, and we're looking at two first rounders between Kai Jones and, and Greg Brown. Uh, I, every time I watch him, because I've been watching them both a lot. I keep thinking Jericho Sims is the best bet to have the best NBA career out of all of them. And Sims isn't going to go in the first round. Um, Kai's physique gonna... bias. I don't know if that's physique bias. You know, this, this is a theme in the league, right? He looks like he's built like Dwight Howard, uh, right? <laughs> I'm not telling you Jericho Sims is going to solve all your problems. I'm just telling you that there's a reason why Texas was incredibly disappointing with two first rounders because, I mean, Greg Brown's his own experiment. Um, he doesn't know how to play. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing at all. It's fascinating. It's actually kind of fun to break him down and do a scouting report. But after like so much work on him, I go, just stop writing. Like you already knew who he was immediately. Yeah. There wasn't he's a lot like of work. Like a baby there. deer that like, 
you know, is out and just like, you know, sort of like all over the place, but he is a crazy, I thought, I thought he was going to measure as the best athlete in the draft. Like some of the, and, and Keon and will, got it right. Keon got it. Right. But I will say this, you know, there's, there's combine athleticism and in-game athleticism. And other than, you know, some posterizing ducks, dunks that Keon Johnson did, oftentimes he actually didn't show off his athleticism the way that you would expect for somebody that elite athlete. You can't watch Greg Brand, Brown and not see him pop like multiple times a game athletically. Like oh, yeah. uh, it, it, it translates to his game. He just doesn't know how to feel or read the game yet, which led to, I think at one point he went like his first 10 or 15 games and didn't record an assist or like only had like one assist, um, you know, in a game it's shoot threes or dunk. Like that was, that was his game. That's my fit. I was doing cameras, uh, Cameron Thomas's tape the other day, and I counted 16 games with one or zero assists for the LSU guard. Yeah. Uh, he's not, he's not interested in passing, but he's probably gonna go in the first round because I mean, his shot making alone, but I mean, he's out there as maybe he's projecting as a third guard. Let's talk a little rumor stuff because post Chicago is kind of the first wave of the rumor mill stuff going. So I don't know if you want to talk trades, if you want to talk, um, about teams, I, I just, I think one of the things I always like talking to somebody about is I'll say, like, give me a name with a team that you're kind of hearing already. The all-time favorite for me was Austin Rivers to the New Orleans Pelicans because I think somebody told me two months before the draft. They're like, I don't know anything. I only know that Austin Rivers is going to the Pelicans. And I was like, really? That's pretty early. They're like, yeah, book it. Done. Um, I don't know if we have anything to that level because it still feels early, but take it anywhere you want to go. Well, I think Franz Wagner to the Kings it is seems like an inevitability at an analytics driven front office with one of the top analytics guys and, and, and frankly, a player that probably fits what they need. One of the worst, maybe one of the worst defensive teams of all time um, in Sacramento. And, and I, I, I think Franz Wagner is going to be a really good defender uh, at the next level in the NBA. I mean, there's just so many things that I'll, I'll sort of get together. Everybody's sort of slotting him in there. You know, interestingly, everybody's slotting in Davian Mitchell, to the Warriors based off of the James Wiseman experiment last year and, and, and how they learned bringing in a young raw guy and trying to integrate him into a team that's trying to be a playoff team, how frustrating that was for Wiseman, how frustrating it was for the coaching staff, for the players, everyone else, the Warriors aren't going to do that again. I sort of think is the thinking on what's going to happen there. But I, I think most people believe that actually what's going to happen is that Wiseman and seven are going to go and they're going to add a big piece uh, to the to the mix and, and, you know, John Hollinger wrote about this. So I want to give him credit, but this was the buzz. And I think he was picking up on it. He was in he was in Chicago picking up on it is uh, Pascal Siakam could be the guy that they're looking at with the Raptors deciding to go full and rebuild. And, you know, whether it's trying to package four and seven to move up or just taking four and seven uh, and, and deciding, you know, we're going to sort of build and add around this team. I think that that's, that's really interesting. Oklahoma City always, always in the promise game somewhere. Whether it's true or not, every year it's rumored Sam Presti's shut down someone. He's promised somebody. I think everybody was pointing to Isaiah Jackson out of Kentucky, who does not show up at the combine, doesn't do anything, doesn't do interviews, doesn't do anything. For a guy like that, that you know, Kate Cunningham, that makes sense. For a guy like that, it it probably means either he's hiding something, he's got an injury or something that he's trying to hide, or or he's got a promise and, you know, given, given where the thunder are developmentally and with picks 16 and 18, uh, kind of right there in the mid first round, I, I, I think, you know, slotting Isaiah Jackson, the same way we all slotted Poku to the thunder last year. Like it was the worst kept secret in the draft that Poku was going, going to be a, a member of the thunder one way or the other, uh, on draft night. I think a lot of people are feeling that way for, um, him. And I think the biggest mystery 
that I've had so many people call me about and try, just trying to figure out is Alperin and Singun uh, out of Turkey, this incredibly productive, like Luka Doncic's performance over in Europe, won the MVP of the Turkish league at 18 years old, which is, which is crazy because that's a real league. That's, I mean, it's really great stuff. The analytics are like off the charts in like, he's the best player in the draft analytics. Like that's what the analytics are saying. And the eye test is, is confusing because he's got they, the way Turkey plays him on his team. He, it's kind of an old school game. He's a, you know, he's a, he's a traditional center. He doesn't shoot threes. Um, he's not, you know, handling the ball, you know, questions about his athleticism. He's only six ten with maybe like a six ten wingspan. He's, you know, he's not like got huge size. He looks a little bit heavy footed. Not, he's not like, you know, he's not like Jokic, but like, he's, you know, he's not like the super mobile big. And, and so there's this, interesting, crazy tension between numbers, production, like all of that actually says this guy's probably like a top, you know, you know, maybe after that six, like the seventh guy in this draft, like hands down. But then when you think about the way the leagues evolve and, you know, how big men play in the NBA, he's going to have to do a lot of things that he wasn't doing in Turkey uh, to, to play on an NBA team. And, and can he do those? And, you know, and it's a sort of a guess because he just hasn't been doing those things. He's the most fascinating guy for me. He's really, really skilled and you're right. I mean, he is old school, traditional five, all that kind of stuff, but the passing, um, and just, you can tell how smart of a player he is and all that kind of stuff. But then I think of like, wait, we have situations where amazing, not, not average centers, really good centers in the league can't find minutes in a playoff game. So I know that you have bigger problems if you're picking in the top 10, but I, look, when Gobert has a bad matchup against small teams, I feel like if you're an NBA team, even though all the stuff you just said is accurate, I, like, I don't watch him and go, oh, I hate this guy. I watch him and I worry about him because I go, well, wait a minute. What, why would you set yourself up with a five that, you know, are you playing him in closing games in four or five years if you're a good team? Yeah. And at least Rudy, Rudy's an elite rim protector and an elite, elite defender. Yeah, no right, one's saying right. anything about that with Singoon. Like that, that, you know, I don't think you expect any of that from him. It's all offense, and you know that that is what he's brilliant at. And I think I think he is. I actually think he's a brilliant basketball player offensively. Uh, but you know, teams are going to go small on him. That's going to be a major you know major issue for him. That nobody's going to fear shot blocking when he's on the on the court. Um, we don't know. People say in in an empty gym he can shoot threes just fine, but he's shooting like fourteen percent from three uh, in very limited attempts in Turkey. Like, yeah, that's a that's a big that's a big projection out there for him. Yeah, it, it troubles me, Ryan, as well. Like, I if he goes like seven, like you know, I'm I'm not going to be told. Even if, frankly, if Oklahoma City like broke up our top five or to, top six and took him there like that wouldn't like totally shock me because i think sam presti's the dude in the league with the balls to do that uh like he's not going to care what the consensus is among nba guys like if he likes a guy he's gonna like gonna like him i mean i think he proved pro- proved that with poku um so that wouldn't shock me if he went 18 or 20 in this draft like i'm not going to be shocked either this is not going to be a tyrese halliburton situation where i'm gonna be like why is Sindun falling in the draft like you know, it's like spin the spin the roulette wheel on where he's going to land on draft night. I want to end with book night. Uh, James book night, UConn. Okay. I got a call the other day about another workout of, you know, a friend in the league was at and was like, this guy, man, you guys are sleeping. You're sleeping. Mm-hmm. 
I, I every time I expect this to come full circle about James Booknight, but he seems to be stuck on the mocks. But for about a month now, I've been told by a bunch of teams like, hey, every, like it's somehow and this I'm sure happened to you a lot as if you're in charge of every mock draft out there. Um, <laughs> you know, I'll. I'll hear, I feel bad for Kevin O'Connor because I got so many calls about him having Killian Hayes won. And the teams were like, what the hell are you doing over there? I was like, look, I'm not the draft guy uh, here, so back off. Um, but James Booknight continues to get praise. I very rarely hear any criticism about him from teams, and he seems to be stuck outside of the lottery. And it, it, I just heard yeah. again this workout recently. He absolutely torched it. Well, first of all, shout out to Kevin O'Connor because it, the temptation is so big in this business to just sort of conform to the consensus. I get totally. it all the time. People pressure constantly. Why is this guy there? You, you know, I've been talking Scotty Barnes now for the last few weeks and just pounded by people. No, it's five. Everybody says it's five. How can Scotty Barnes be four? That doesn't, you know, make any sense. And so I, I get it. Sometimes my life would just be easier. And for, for Kevin to have Killian Hayes one on his board when literally no one else was, was thinking or saying that, like I, I, I actually deeply admiring for that because that's him staying true to what he believes and not being swayed by the consensus. And I think that actually shows a lot of strength uh, and, and why I read Kevin and, and uh, you know, respect what he does. I don't always agree with him, but, but I'm going to read it because it's actually his take. I'm not just, you know, looking at all the mocks and saying like, what's safe to do um, with, uh, you know, with book night, here's another thing like, okay, workouts, like we know this, Ryan, like workouts, like if it's, I, I went to Damian Lillard workout one time that was the single greatest workout that I've ever seen in my not life. Another Mr. T type workout in Rocky three. And it, and it played out, he plays like that guy in that workout. And it was absolutely the thing for me that put it over the top for me of like, yes, this guy should be a top five pick in the draft. Like that, that did it for me. I talked about the Darko Milicic workout, which was also this incredible workout that was actually really misleading. I've seen a lot of these over the years. Everything that I heard out of that workout in Chicago was that he could not miss a shot. He was stroking it from everywhere on the floor. And I'm like, okay, cool. He did that in a workout in a scripted workout with an agent. He shot 29% from three at UConn. His assist to turnover ratio was dramatically underwater um, at UConn. He's no way going to be a lead guard. He's a little bit undersized, um, you know, for his position. And I don't know what he necessarily gives you defensively. And so you have this guy that I think could be an elite scorer in the league because he is wired that way and he's a good athlete and and he he's wired to be a scorer. So I get the appeal, but you know, the analytics are, you know, a little bit, a little bit discouraging for teams that want multi-positional players. He's not that that's not what he's going to be. And now if he is a lights out shooter, then he should be a top 10 pick in this draft. Just by, by the sheer fact that he's going to be a great score and he's going to be, you know, great. Student. He's going to be Ray Allen, you know, at that point or whatever, but you know, Ray Allen didn't shoot 29% from three, you know, uh, when, when he was playing at UConn and, and so, you know, you got two, two years of watching him in game and then watching him in a workout with teams you know, I, I yeah. think it's fair to have some skepticism. You know what? I like it. I like the way you close that because the size part, when you watch him, you go, uh, and you, know, you felt like he got clogged up a little bit, but I don't know, man, people, I just, I don't hear anything negative on him and, and he's never in the lottery. He's never in the lottery for all the reasons that you just mentioned. Um, I just did it today and I feel guilty taking this long to do it. Um, but I subscribed today, NBA I did the yearly, 
Uh, and I will, if you DM me on Instagram, I will cover one person's yearly subscription um, wow. to join. Well, look, it's 50 bucks. I'm not, I'm not saving lives over here. Um, <laughs> but I just want to support a guy who's always been supportive of me. It's Chad Ford. Again, NBABigBoard.com. And the podcast comes out every two weeks. And this was a lot of fun, man. So let's do it again. All right. Take care, Ryan. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. Modelo knows it's not about whether you win or lose. It's about cheering louder, traveling further. It's about showing up no matter what. Because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. An ice cold reward. Rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate? Hate is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season. Throw in a little something extra. An appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids... I am liquid. So now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice, rr at gmail.com. No Kyle as of right now. He's uh, had some time off and then also kind of a busy taping schedule. So I don't want anyone to think that like Kyle's no longer part of life advice because I know how much I think people like that more than what I'm talking about, which I'h look, I'll agree with you. So, so Rudy's here, but don't. I'm sorry. Don't get freaked out. Yeah. And here's the best part about Saruti. Saruti does not care because he knows that everybody wants to hear from Kyle. And there's a lot of guys that would have a microphone in front of him that'd be like, you know, hey, can we have a can we have a meeting about like what my role is on life advice? Because I feel like, you know, my voice matters. And uh all right. Being on last. Yeah. Yeah. I just I feel like I I know what my value is. And like this is my worth, and I know my worth. You're like, okay, you know what? It's just a fucking stupid advice thing at the end. Yep. So let's not, that's never happened on this podcast. Um, zero egos here on the Rosillo show. Eh, zero, zero is probably inaccurate. It's probably one. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm talking about Kyle and I. Yep. We'll leave it at that. All right. Uh, here we go. Um, this is, uh, this the theme of of today's might be the, the old 180 on us because they had a couple of things. So like the headline of this was psychologist response to woman with late boyfriend. So we well, had a lot of people following up on the boyfriend who was late all the time. And I have to admit when I when I got this one sent to me, I was like, oh, I'm just going to be, you know, I'm not certainly not licensed. I've been a human for a while, so I think I've understood human behavior, but I've. I'm always like, all right, what's this guy going to say? So here we go. Um. Psychologist, therapist, New York, New York City, New Jersey as well. 33-61-175. Oh, I know why I like this. Okay, this is fun. 
I had to weigh in on the recent email from the woman with the constantly late boyfriend. I have some thoughts on lateness, which may help her out. Look, it's going to be a tough. Uh, it's going to be tough to change this. His comfort in doing this and his willingness to do it on other people's special occasions is an issue. It makes me wonder about his level of empathy generally, or if there's something about big occasions, weddings, etc., that he wants to avoid. Mm, there you go. This is why this guy went to school. You know, there's a lot of directions all these emails can go. I'm understanding of that. I don't expect that mine is the 100% complete, uh, unless it's just a real cutthroat. Like, oh, she hasn't texted you back in a month. Guess what, dude? I don't think there's a lot of ways we can look at this, but that's a very good point brought up by a professional in this. Is there some something in his past? Is there something about big events? But uh, as he says, these are all things for her to consider. In any event, lateness is a power play. He keeps her and others guessing, wondering, and begging for him to be present. He likely gets an odd brand of attention and validation from this. His lack of concern about it, however, uh, is what has me siding with you, Ryan. This won't change anytime soon. So he's presenting possible theories for the root cause here. Root cause, Sopranos reference. But yet then he kind of comes around to, you know, the fact he just doesn't even give a shit is why it's like maybe this guy just sort of sucks. Like this is one attribute of him. We all have kind of like a couple things that, Probably people say like, ah, I wish he did this better or whatever. Uh, we know what this guy's deal is. All right. So as the psychologist says, this won't change anytime soon. This type of thing can change, but only if he wants it to. Until then, enticing him to change might actually make the problem worse as he likely relishes the attention this garners. People are masterful at finding ways for others to request their presence and validate them, however subtly. The only way it'll come around is if she stops rewarding his lateness and nonchalance. However, I agree with Saruti that it would be difficult for her to simply ignore him and essentially make her own plans, wondering when or if he'll show up. As far as him enjoying time with the groom despite missing the guy's ceremony, this actually makes me more worried about his personality and potential lack of empathy. Again, it's a power play that he's likely unaware of. If you have to wait for someone, you can't be with them when they arrive. Um, and then here's so I thought all that stuff was really good. You know, there's a couple things that I, you know, the the power play part of it. I mean, I'm a little bit more of the the common man approach to this stuff where I'm like, maybe he just sucks. You know, maybe <laughs> this part just really sucks. Like to just sit on a bed and be like fire up a soccer game when the ceremony is about to start in 12 minutes already. Like I kind of always default to the simpler thing. But I like what our guy is offering up here as further explanations for our female listeners. I think, you know, he's a professional. So I think he's onto something here and that there has to be a reason why he's doing this, right? Like just being a dick isn't a reason, right? The reason would well, be sometimes that he wants attention. And I think that actually probably does make sense. And that actually makes him makes me like him even less. Like this, if you're doing this for attention, so people are like, oh, like pay attention to me, whatever room I walk in when I'm late. Like people say, oh, you know, here's so-and-so, he's late again. And that gives you some sort of gratification. That's a huge bummer to me. But it actually probably makes sense, right? Because why else would you just be constantly be a dick about it? Yeah, see, there's and I'm not I'm not disagreeing with a psychologist. Okay, I'm just a guy hosting the podcast here. But the times like we've had some people come on or reach out and say, hey, can I come on? And first of all, I'm not going to ever have anybody on as a life advice person in a special field unless I already know that person kind of, you know, no offense to anybody. But like I have to have some sort of relationship where I know like, hey, I think this guy's going to be good on the pod or whatever. There was a bunch of financial guys hitting us up afterwards being like, hey, let's I need to come on, whatever, whatever, whatever. And I could tell what they were doing, like they were hoping to like sell their own, you know, financial advisor position. And we're like, hey, I'm not knocking the hustle here, but if I don't know you. So the thing with anybody that works in therapy, I think sometimes when it's your profession, you can try to make it more complicated. So therefore, you look like your expertise is that much That's more true. valuable. Yep. 
And I'm not saying that's what's happening here at all. So I don't want our psychologists here to feel like I'm being dismissive, but it is something I've noticed because it happens in my thing all the time where I'll look at certain guys, there'll be certain guys on Twitter that'll be talking about like a football game or a basketball game. And they want to make it so much more complicated. They'd be like, oh, you know, the, the DB technique foot on the inside left set up this whole and you're like, yeah, I got just beat him. Like, what are you talking about? And it's just like, no, I want to. There was a football guy that I used to work with. This is even before ESPN, where all he would do was references to make it sound like he was like the biggest, best football guy. So actually, he was making everything more complicated. So it wasn't really for the viewer or audience. It was simply for him to show off. And actually, nobody could understand what the hell he was talking about. And then there would always be some other football guy that'd be like, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And you're just like, whatever. This was a great email. Um, and this is why it gets funny, because at the end, he says, please use my name as I don't mind some pub. So when I read that sentence, I go, I'm <laughs> definitely not reading this email. <laughs> right. I go, I go, I'm not reading this fucking guy's email. Like what? But then he saved himself with this sentence. Oh, However, stop there. Wow. I figured you would just stop and be like, all right, we're good here. No, because everything before it was so good. So then I, when I got to that line, I was like, oh, whatever, dude. And then he said, however, if that seems lame, which it kind of is, then skip the name. I'd just rather have the email read. Love the show. Love the two cents from Saruti and Kyle. P.S. I am too wondering about Texas Jake. So you know what we're going to do here? This is going to be a first. Our guy's name is Joel Coleman. And uh, I guess he... I, I don't know if he wants me to give out the email here. I think he does. Um, Joel Coleman, New Jersey, New York City. I think he's got an email. He wanted the pub. I would almost never do this, but I thought it was so funny that he immediately called himself out that then I was like, all right, I'm back in. So there you go. Yeah, that's the ultimate kind of shoot your shot. And listen, it worked, right? You just read his email on the pod, and that's that's a first in, the I think, the history of, of any Rosillo show. So good for him. <laughs> I, I'm surprised you right. did that. Yeah, now it was gonna- life- now his email is just going to get spit in by like random dudes who aren't really looking for any sort of like, you know, therapy advice They're just, you know, they want to say what's up. I thought it was really, really good because my my fear of the experts at times is like, OK, you've studied this stuff, you know, older guy, like 20, 30 years. And you're like, you know, the other thing, too, is that I think the profession prevents you from being very judgmental. So when you're like, okay, because here's what I've been blown away by with the emails and how popular this, this segment has turned the podcast into and not just, you know, like people, just, I know people now that'll just be like, hey, that's what I listen to and I'll skip the guest is that any professional email that I've gotten from somebody in the field that's been sent has been overwhelmingly positive, which makes me feel better. And I'm sure there's plenty of guys that are licensed to like, he has no idea what he's talking about, which, you know, I'll admit there's certain topics. Uh, I'm I'm not going to be the go-to guy, but it doesn't got to stop the segment. So uh, I appreciated the email, and I thought he had some really good things in there to say. And and hopefully the uh, late boyfriend girlfriend will hear this. Get to those I hope he's root wrong. Causes. I hope he's wrong because if that's the case, then that's that just bums me out even more. Though if you're just doing this for attention, that sucks. Imagine like subconsciously going, "Oh, I like being late because everyone has to pay attention to me." Because <laughs> everyone what gets a... super mad at me. <laughs> like what? yeah. What a that's, psychopath. That's sad. I mean, that's that's it's kind of sad to be honest with you. Like, I, I don't know. But the, the guy didn't seem like he seemed like he had a lot of friends. He, he went on that golfing trip. Or, no, it wasn't a golfing trip. He just went <laughs> golfing with some random friend because he was in town. It seems like he's not like a friend issue. He just I don't know. I'm confused, but I'm not a therapist. So here you go. Yeah, but I have I have a large I mean, I joke about not having any friends. I actually have a ton of friends, but I just NBD. don't live near any of them. 
Yeah, it, no, <laughs> bro. My friend ranking high <laughs> to quite high. Uh, but I would say all of us have a thing that if you only knew about that side of him, you'd go, "Wait, what?" I mean, although I don't know, the more I think about it, you get a little bit older. Um, in college, you're when you're younger, you're just like hyped up, you're tuned up. Those twenties, those years in your twenties, like more stuff probably pisses you off, unless you're just a really, really easygoing guy. And then, you know, luckily, if you're older enough, you're not you're not living with dudes. I mean, I think people get married for the most part just to have somebody to hang out with. But that's another topic. It's fair. I do always tell my wife that uh, it's probably better that she didn't meet me when I was in college or younger Saruti because she probably wouldn't have liked younger Saruti. Uh, I've definitely mellowed out with age, but I used to get yeah hyped up, worked up like. I wasn't like a fighter, as we've discussed on previous podcasts. I was a little bit of a shit talker, but you just grow out of that shit. I don't know. But a lot of it is for attention. So, you know, maybe this guy, I don't know. What was he? Late 20s, right? So maybe he's yeah. kind of he's still growing out of it. Late 20s. I think she said they'd been together for four years. I mean, if you're going to take a dump in a hotel room on a wedding weekend, you know, yeah, it's not. Close. Yeah, you guys are. <laughs> you guys have been together for a while, although, you know, what? I don't even want to get into that topic. So let's uh, let's just keep moving. Staying on the theme of, of 180 emails, there's another one forward to me where the title was Too Good for Men's Hoop League or Too Good for Men's League Hoops. I was like, wait, what? I'm not reading this one. Like, what a what a dick this guy must be. All right. So let's let's uh let's take the journey together. Um and he says, oh, leave these things out. Don't worry, guys. I, I screen on the fly here. Hey, guys, love the show. A little background. Two years out of college and home for the summer. Uh, my friends from high school that still live in the area are in a men's league this summer and asked me to play with them. Problem, however, is that none of my friends are very good and neither is the competition in this league. So I'm starting to think, like, this guy sucks. Then he says, the kids who made the freshman team or did a year of JV as sophomores but didn't even bother trying for varsity and then haven't touched the ball since. So I was like, oh, wait, okay, so maybe these kids aren't very good. And then he mentions that he played uh, hoops in college. And by the way, he's clearly pretty good at basketball because this is a really good program for him to be playing it. So then I'm like, oh, wait, so he's he's good. He goes, had a pretty solid career. My dilemma is that I'm way too good to be in this league, especially considering I'm 6'9", 235. So now I'm totally on the emailer side. It, we started from a position where I was like, I probably don't even want to read this to wait a minute, let me check it out. To now I like, I don't, I don't get where he's coming from because I'm not 6'9 and played in college, but I get where you're coming from in the sense that there's a major, major gap between the dudes that you grew up with and the fact that you're this monster. So, um, <laughs> because my dilemma is I'm way too good to be in the league, especially at 6'9, 235, and do almost all of my scoring exclusively in the paint. It'd be one thing if I was a guard and could really shoot it, but I can't. Um, all I do is score in the post or finish off a of drop-offs. I played in three games and scored 30 in all three, all with a handful of dunks and blocks. I know for a fact I look like an asshole being there. My friends don't feel that way at all because they think it's awesome that they get to throw me lobs and we're winning. But I know for a fact it's hard not to look like a massive asshole being out there doing my best Ennis Canner impersonation against guys who are 6'1". The problem is, is that I'm rarely home, and I'm at the age where the friends groups are getting a little tighter. Uh, it's been an awesome time seeing everyone at games, going out for beers afterwards, and being included for the following weekend's plans. At this point, I would classify myself as a uh, classify myself as a fringe guy because I was never home for the holidays or most of the summer during college. Nor have I been around much since I graduated. I'm not in the group chat, and I'm not the type of person that wants to constantly nag others to see what they're doing, even though I know I'm always welcome to come hang. Additionally, because of 
my job, uh, this guy has a really cool job too. I have a weird work calendar that requires me to be away on a lot of the weekends and busier in the summer than most. So I can't really guarantee that I'll be around for a significant chunk of time in the near or distant future. So what do I do? I think it's a weird and tough look. Um, he also mentions that clearly people know who he is than this league that he's playing in. It's a tough look that I'm playing in these summer league games, but they're the best ways to see my friends from high school. I've thought about Chase taking a little lighter and trying to facilitate, but I'm honestly not even trying that much to begin with. This league is really bad. And would it be even more of a loser move to show up and not try something like that? So I just keep wearing it and playing these games, or is there another way I can stay involved? Great, great email, because he shows us what. He actually does have a ton of self-awareness, um, and he doesn't want to go out there at 6'9 and just start dunking all these guys. All right, here, there's a bunch of things here. Your self-awareness is great, but don't be so self-aware that you're denying yourself some fun, all right? Like, my first thought was you should just start trying to play perimeter hoops for a while, just work on other skills that you've never developed. You know, I don't know if you're going to be setting pin-down screens and guys at, at at six nine, but you're probably not going to be going between your legs and all that kind of stuff and bringing the ball up because then all the other guards are like, hey, this is annoying, and then maybe you're making it more of a mockery the entire thing. But here's what I would advise anyone in any of these kind of situations. You're not doing anything bad. Yes, you're dominating guys that should never be playing against you, but you mentioned it yourself. Like You love this friendship bond that you're developing here. So why would you deny yourself all the benefits from this? There are good things, healthy things. Coming out of a pandemic, seeing friends again, your job, which you explained to me here and I'll share with everyone, is one that is super demanding time-wise. And this may be a moment, and you're also, what, you're just two years out of college? Don't overthink this. Like, the fact that you even care is enough, all right? I mean, the fact that, like, anybody that's looking at you going like, hey, you're an asshole, don't worry about the other people in this case, even if they didn't know, it'd be a very common assumption or reaction to you out there just dunking all, all these guys. But if you like the camaraderie part of it and you're hanging out and you're connected with guys, you haven't connected it again, and you're going to become a core guy, even though if your limitations because of the job always make you a forever fringe guy, don't deny yourself all of that stuff that is really good and healthy now. And honestly, most of us all need it because those post-college years are always kind of a little tough figuring out transition, like where do I fit in? Where's my friend group going to be and all these different things? Don't deny yourself all of that stuff because you don't want to look like an asshole because you're 6'9 and you're dunking on guys. Don't apologize for being 6'9. And by the way, there's another thing about being 6'9 and being this good at hoops. All the other guys, yeah, they like throwing you lobs and all that stuff. They also love having a 6'9 guy in the mix. All right? That is a fact. It is science. Um, when you are with a monstrous person, the rest of the people... There's just a little gleam, just a little weird twinkle in the eye of like, not because you're going to start getting into alley fights here, but it it's a conversation starter for all the other people, especially if you start talking to girls. Now, granted, 6'9", that's a specific girl that's going to be super into a guy that's closer to seven feet. That's a different topic. I don't understand it that well at my height in comparison, but what I'm telling you is everybody's pumped that you're in the group. They love having you on the basketball team. Yeah, it looks a little ridiculous. I love the fact that you said I'm not even really trying that hard. Maybe work on the perimeter stuff, but do not. Do not deny yourself something healthy and that is good as making you feel good about yourself in this very short amount of time and in a window you may not have again in a long time. I love this guy because self-awareness, I've always said, is the most underrated, if not most important personality trait. But you can go too far on that too. And then you're like paranoid in your own head about like, 
whether or not you're stepping on other people. So it's just kind of do you, man. And I, I, I thought the same thing. Like, you know, stretch that jumper out to like 12 feet. If you don't feel comfortable out there, like start clanking, you know, make, make your game better. It's a self-improvement exercise. So I, 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 I love this guy and, uh, I don't know what his gig is, but it's, I'm like super intrigued about what it is. So you have to tell me off the air, but, um, I don't know, make your friends, do your thing, but like, don't get in your own head too much about like whether or not you're too good. Just, just be you. Yeah. You're not. It could be one thing if you were dunking on guys and screaming at them and then like waving. If you guys win the men's league, you start running around with the banner over your head or like hold a trophy up and you're like, we did it. We did it. It sounds like you're not going to do any of those things or you're not doing any of those things. So don't. You're right. A great point, Srudy. Self-awareness is great, but there's also a ceiling you need to put on self-awareness where a lot of times when you're sitting there thinking about all these other things people are thinking of you. They're not even like they got their own stuff. They're not even thinking about it. Yes, there's probably a few people that walk by this game and go, look at that 6'9 asshole. Who's he think he is? Who cares? That person isn't even a part of your life. And if you know that what your motivations are are all pure and it's all because of the camaraderie part of it, don't apologize for being dominant. There's a good chance a lot of those guys, too, want to impress you as the 6'9 guy who's really good to be like, oh, man, I got to bring my A game. So this guy thinks I'm not like a, a total noob. Uh, so I don't know. I, I you don't get in your own head too much and just do you. Yeah, but definitely tell the rest of the guys, maybe the five tenors that are on the basketball team. Don't talk shit when you throw a lob to me either. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> We're changing the schedule. I don't know what it is um, because the Bill and I Sunday thing is going to move, I think, to a Thursday. I'm not 100 percent sure. You're at least going to get two from me um, because I still have the third one, Bill. We're doing all the draft stuff. So look, I'm not going anywhere the next month or whatever, but I just want to make sure you're subscribed. You tell everybody to subscribe, uh, rate and review the podcast, and we will talk to you next week. Just not sure which day. I'll announce it on Twitter, which I'm very active on, and enjoy all of it. Bye.